Hello again, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and learn how it can help us serve and glorify Him. Our enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. One of our brethren here at Franklin, Kenny Wells, presented this lesson about the devil. And he claims it's no joking matter. So open your Bibles to the book of Job and let's learn about the devil. Well, good evening. It's certainly encouragement to see all of you here tonight. I want to join with Don in thanking our guests for being here. Among those guests we have, I certainly know you can get in trouble singling out people, but uh, I know you will meet all of our guests. But uh, we have a couple of guys here from Jackson that are going to be staying in Columbia and going leaving out in the morning on the trip. I'd uh, certainly like you to meet them, and we certainly do solicit your prayers for the trip. And not just today, but all week long for their safety and the work there. I thought I was in bad trouble this morning. I thought Ms. Barnes was going to be down to two sons for the first couple of minutes of Phil's lesson. We had talked about earlier, discussed what we were both going to talk about, but we didn't talk about where we were going to get it from. And he gets up and he says, my favorite book is the book of Job. I said, <laughs> anyway, guess where we're going tonight? If you'd like to turn into the first chapter of Job, we're going back to Job. But actually, we all know that God can take bad things and turn them around for good. And Phil went a totally different direction. And for your benefit, actually, I was able to shorten my sermon some because of some of the reading and stuff he did I wanted have to do. I got the idea for the lesson from uh, a saying we have around the house. And I've been known to make a joke occasionally or pick at somebody or what, you know, once in a while. And for that reason, I wanted to say to you uh, the topic of the lesson tonight is no joking matter. It's nothing, it's something we say at home quite often, but it's a very serious thing. And it's not something that we develop some slang term or some term we use to tiptoe up to the edge of being vulgar. But it's one that we use most of the time out of concern. Seems like all too often these days you can't turn on the TV without seeing some terrible event that's been played out on the world stage. Uh, you get a phone call and a brother or sister in Christ are suffering. You look around and another family unit is split. You see suffering people, suffering children, abuse, neglect, the list goes on and on. And the topic of the sermon that I have for tonight is, it's the devil. I don't know if y'all can see the overhead. We're kind of going back to the dark ages. I asked Phil this morning if he was going to use the PowerPoint and he said, Phil and I, if my memory serves me, about a year apart. I don't know about Phil, but I resolved the fact that I'm from the generation where the VCR flashes 12 all the time. So I just accepted that and I'm going on. But I did pull out the overhead, and I hope you can see it. I hope you don't get blinded from that. But we're going to be using it some tonight for the sake of scriptures and such. I think, well, there's no doubt in my mind that we live in a society today where very few people actually fear God anymore. They have no respect for God or Father. They have little respect for, as they should, 
And I think when you get in situations such as we are today, if they don't fear God, they certainly have any, don't have any fear or respect for Satan. And somewhere in between there, where I think most of our society is today, and that's frightening. Uh, we think about Satan, and I fear a lot of Christians the same way. We think about the devil or Satan. We think about a little guy in a, uh, in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork and a ponytail sitting on our shoulder. And kind of what he does, he incites us to mischief. He's there when we tell a white lie or we do something of that sort, you know, kind of prodding us on or somebody we kind of have to override to do some of those things. And let me tell you, if you take a look into the Scriptures about the devil or Satan, I wish it were that simple. We would might be much better off if it were that simple. I'm here to tell you tonight that the devil has many faces and he has many names. And I want us to take a look at some of those. In the Bible between Genesis and Revelation, I don't know how good y'all can see this, but there's some 20 different references or names made to Satan. Besides Satan and the devil, the accuser, the destroyer, the adversary, Beelzebul, Beal, the deceiver of the world, the great dragon, an enemy, the evil one, the father of lies, the god of this world, a liar, a murderer, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, the ancient serpent, and the tempter. I think by your mere presence tonight, the fact that you took the time out of your day to come here would certainly secure the fact that most all of you, or all of you, or 100% of us, recognize God as our standard of good. We recognize His Son and our Savior as the yardstick that we measure our good by, His example that He set while here on this earth. It stands to reason, I think, if we have a Creator who is good and can do no wrong, and there's sin in the world, and somewhere there's a standard of evil. That's what I want us to look at tonight. Let's begin by looking at Satan. And I want to raise the question, what are his powers? Take the Bibles, if you will, turn with me to the book of Job, the first chapter. And I would like to look uh, for us to look in Job verses 15 and 17, beginning. And the Sabaeans raided them. Let's back up to 14. And the messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. In verse 17, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three braiding, three bands, raided the camels and took them away. So see here a biblical example where Satan possesses the power to steal. He possesses the power to take from those. Job is described as being a very just and righteous man. Satan has the power to take from those that are trying to be good, be good and do what's right. He has the power to take from them what's theirs. Look again in Job 6, uh, 1, verses 16 and verse 19. 
fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And in verse 19, suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and fell on the young people, and they were dead. See here where Satan possesses the power over nature. And I think this would probably be a hot topic right now. I've heard much in my travels and work. I've heard lots of things being said about the filth and vulgar things that went on in New Orleans on a regular basis. And I've heard much debate about that. And I'm not here to answer that question. I don't know what God did with this, where he's at with it. I cannot begin to answer that. But I can tell you here from the Scriptures that Satan does possess power over nature to do things. Job 1, again, verses 15, 16, 17, and 19. Let's look at those. And the civilians raided them and took them away, and indeed they had killed the servants with the edge of the sword. Verse 16. The fire from, of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants. Verse 17. Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, and yes, they killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And then again in verse 19, And the wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. You see here are four different accounts of where Satan possesses the power to kill. He possesses the power to take human life. And seems like the list of Satan's power just goes on and on. Let's look again in Job chapter 2, verse 7. Job chapter 2, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. We'll see here an example of where Satan has the power over disease and physical infirmities. We're taking a look at Satan and his powers. First Peter 5 and 8, we won't go there, but First Peter 5 and 8 speaks of Satan walking about like a roaring lion. What do we associate with for the lion? King of the beast. Powerful. Cunning. Makes his living by his cunning nature, by his powers. Most Things that a lion eats, I assume they kill themselves. Ephesians 6 and 11 talks about the wiles of the devil. If you like to do word studies, sometimes look up wiles there and follow that through. Do a word study on the wiles of the devil. You're going to find a lot of words like cunning and crafty. And one, actual one definition, I'm not sure where it came from, said covert operations. And it, covert, covert operations, you think of a general and his subordinates sitting, standing or sitting around a table, planning for battle, putting every ounce of energy, every thought, all of their actions and thoughts into a battle, winning the battle. No thoughts of loss, winning the battle. I think that is Satan's nature. Uh, couldn't be described any better. We talk about Satan and his powers and his destructive ways. Uh, 
Next question I would like to ask you. Satan possesses all of these powers. He has this destructive nature. Then, what hope do we have? What hope are we given that we can even win the battle of good and evil? Well, let's go back and let's look at Job again. Job chapter 1, verse 12. Actually, that's back to verse 11. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely cuss you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And let's look in verse chapter 2, verse 6. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand that spares life. So we see here two biblical accounts of where Satan's power is limited by God. No questions asked. Satan's power was limited by God. Certainly, certainly Satan cannot be described as a servant of God or a child of God, but he does. Here it seems that his authority and his power is directly limited by God. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter... 6, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 6, and verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I think back about the lion again. I was thinking as I was getting this together, if I were out on the plains of Africa or wherever lions stay and I was out there didn't have any guns, anything, how wonderful it would be have it would be to have a suit of armor. And think about armor being heavy and gaudy and sweaty, I presume, something you really wouldn't want to be carrying around or have to fool with, but if it's just you and the lion, I'd be glad to have a set of armor. And I thought about an example of someone having on the whole armor of God and thought about Job again. Job 1 and verse 8 says, Job was a blameless and upright man who feared God and shunned evil. And I thought about that. And I thought, a blameless and upright man who feared God and shunned evil. What better example of someone who had no holes in their armor, nowhere to penetrate? Job obviously had on the whole armor of God. Father Hope, let's look to James while we're here close by. Let's look at James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Therefore submit to God... Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I think about drawing near to God, and I thought a lot about my father while I was doing this, and it kept, I kept thinking about him. And uh, I kept 
thinking about this, and I finally don't know why I thought about this. I had always been six feet tall. Actually, I was, I don't know mark that. <laughs> I was actually kind of scrawny as a kid. I was kind of a miniature Barney Fyatt, I guess. I wasn't too sickly, but I was kind of scrawny. Actually, I remember being very well being afraid of the dark. But I was thinking about this. I never remember being afraid of the dark when my father was around. And every day that passes, I am more and more thankful for godly Christian parents. I especially thought about my father when I was doing this, getting this lesson together. I thought about drawing near to God and he'll draw near to you. What's the first thing that happens when we're as, as a child if we sense some danger in our father's near? Grab his leg. And then the next thing that happens, one or two things happen. He either reaches down and picks us, up, picks us up or he puts his arm around us. And the next thing you're going to say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right, don't worry. And I thought a lot about this, drawing near to God. I think there's so many spiritual applications can be made by a, compared to a good Christian father. And I thought about that and how our Christian fathers pick us up or our father picks us up and draws us in near to him. And we just feel good. We feel you may be still frightened at the moment, but, you know, you feel warm and fuzzy all over. And I think the same thing is what God's talking about here. We draw near to Him. He will draw near to us. Satan's going to come after us like a lion. But God will pick us up. And he will provide a way of escape when the temptations come. And he will tell us, it's going to be all right. I'll take care of you. You just draw near to me. Satan achieved a big victory in the Garden of Eden when he won his victory by deceit over Adam and Eve. And for a long time, he had dominion over mankind as a whole. But Jesus came and he freed us from that. And I was thinking about, thinking about this as I was looking for an end of my sermon. You know, where does that leave Satan now? Where does that leave us now? There was a victory. There was a defeat. What's going on now? I thought the best application I could think of that we could make would be an exiled dictator. We think about Saddam Hussein who's sitting in prison now because of his tyrant ways. And we can think of, I remember other dictators couldn't think of any of his name, but uh, some that were exiled to other countries. And usually that's the fate of a dictator. He's either imprisoned or exiled to another country. For whatever reason, Satan was allowed to roam free. He was defeated, but he's allowed to roam free. But what's going to be the end of this? What will be the ultimate end of Satan and his followers? Let's answer a couple of questions about this, and then the lesson will be yours. First thing we need to do, I think, is to establish who are his followers. 
go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. First Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. You not know that the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. We live in a society today where we seem to be, a great portion of our society seems to be obsessed with political correctness. And I think that it's going to be one of the downfalls of this nature, this nation. Things have never been fair. The Bible says there's going to be persecutions, there's going to be hardships. We are obsessed with trying to be politically correct, and there's nothing about this indicates any political correctness. It says the sexually immoral, the thieves, the covetous, the drunkards, the revilers, the extortioners, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen. So, if they're not followers of God, then this group of individuals must be followers of Satan. Turn with me to Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. And when the Son of Man comes, and when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all of the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on His throne, uh, sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another that the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did you see? When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will surely answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my generation, of these least of my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you, to you. And then he will answer them, saying, Surely I say to you, Inasmuch as I did not, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I don't know about you all. I should have said first, when I, the few times that I had done lessons like this, first thing I try to look at is a lesson that I need. And this is one that I need to hear about three times a year from a real fireball preacher. But I need to be reminded that there is an adversary, that he is walking about like a roaring lion, that he does, I think Sister Clater tells her ladies' class, he'll be still scratching after you when they're about to put you in the casket. I think he is... Dedica as dedicated to the cause as God our Father is to having us with Him. If you're here tonight and you know what's right to do, you've never obeyed the gospel, you've let Satan talk you out of that. If you know what's right to do and you've let him talk you out of that, then Satan's winning the battle. The lion has won. If you're here tonight and you've obeyed the gospel at some point in time, but you've allowed Satan to pull you down like he does all of us at some times. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. And we'd love to do that. Putting if you in any way, we invite you to come if we stand and sing. I certainly hope this lesson on our enemy, the devil, has been beneficial and helpful to you. If you have any questions about this lesson or about the Franklin Church in general, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. If someone has given you this lesson, may I encourage you to go to that website. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous resources and lessons there for you to download and use in whatever way you believe will honor and glorify God and draw others closer to Him. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him, but more importantly, may you richly bless God.